wanted to share this morning and just speak on a little phrase. That little phrase is, do what it takes. Now, I mentioned uh, just as we opened about the Super Bowl coming up, and you think about the two teams, whoever they may be, they're going to come into that stadium and, you know, they have that, that saying, leave it all on the field, meaning they're going to do whatever it takes to win that game. You know, that's their goal. That's the, the goal of ev- all their effort this whole season is to win that title, to win the Super Bowl, to get the ring and, and all that. And so they're going to do what it takes. Now, that's something that, that, you know, even if they win that ring, they'll have it for a certain number of years and then uh, they can't take it with them. So it's a temporal thing. But yet we realize there are rewards. There's a crown. There's an, there's an eternity that God wants to give to us. But yet I think we're still in that position. You know, we think of what the Apostle Paul said, we're running a race. You know, we run as spiritual athletes, so to speak. Thank God we don't have to be natural athletes. We can be spiritual athletes. But in that same concept, we have to do whatever it takes to win our race, to cross the finish line. And really, this is something that kind of comes to us when we consider some of the great men and women of faith. And you look at their lives and you see, you know what? They did whatever it took to meet God, to follow him, to fulfill what he was asking them to do. And so I just wanted to look at, uh, it's, you might seem random, but I, I wanted to just do a survey of some of these people that we see in Scripture and just see in their walk with God how they followed him, how they responded, how they did whatever it took to meet God in their situation and to overcome. Now, I want to, of course, we always have a balance. We want to have a balanced message because we're, you know, we know that it's God's grace alone that saves us. We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. None of us are going to boast, yeah, I made it to heaven by, because I had what it took, right? No one's going to do that. There's lots of people that boast that, but unfortunately, they have a surprise, sad surprise waiting. In reality, I kind of look at it this way. God does 100% of the work of salvation, you know, but yet as far as after we, you know, we're looking at... um, Pilgrim's progress in our Bible study. Pilgrim crosses through that gate. That's not the end of the story, is it? The gate of salvation. It's just the beginning of the story. So once we cross through that gate, we've begun our story and our journey. And once we cross through the gate, then that applies. Hey, we got to do what it takes to meet God, to follow him on that journey. And on the journey, I think God still does pretty much all of it. He does 99%. There's that 1% where God says, well, you have your part to play too. And that's where we have to give, up, give our all, every, do whatever it takes. And you know, even the promises, there's so many promises in the word of God that we can see given to people. You know, and, and they were wonderfully described to us, but quite often, God will give this wonderful promise to someone, and he, but then he'll put a tag ending on it and say, if you believe or if you obey. If you follow me, that's the 1% that we gotta, we have to apply ourselves. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, hey, you can be my disciple. Welcome into the, 
into the group. Follow me. But he did have that if, right? He did have that little part that wasn't necessarily a huge effort physically. But when Jesus said, sell all and follow me, that was a big something in his heart that he couldn't do what it took to be a disciple, uh, you know, to have the privilege of following the Lamb. And so what we're looking here at here is our part, realizing there's certain things God asks of us to follow him. Uh, I'm not going to bring out specific things because each of us has our own journey and our own story, but we're going to look at what the scripture says and then we can ask God, Lord, show me what you have for me, what you want me to do. Uh, we'll look at some examples of some great men and women of faith and realize they did whatever it took to follow the Lord. The father of our faith, Abraham. God had a remarkable journey for him. I, you know, I wonder, sometimes you wish you could read minds and just see what, what were they feeling and thinking at that moment that God spoke to them because it was such a big deal. For us, for traveling today, we're like, oh, traveling? Okay, that would be fun and exciting. But back then, it was like, I'm leaving my family and I'll probably never see them again, which was the exact case for Abraham. But God told him, leave your homeland and your family and go to a strange land and be a stranger there for the rest of your life. And on those days, family was everything. It was protection. It was provision. Security, comfort, but God said, go out. And Abraham responded, but it still must have been a hard thing. I mean, even to leave his family. Uh, and, and we know from the story, he couldn't quite do it in the fullest extent. He took his father and he took Lot with him on that journey. And in reality, it would have been better if he'd left Lot because his descendants kind of became a plague for Abraham's descendants. Uh, in later generations with Moab and Ammon. And it was only after he had fully separated that God gave him those wonderful promises where he said in, in Genesis 13, 14, he said, I'll give you this land and I'll make your seed like the dust of the earth. And then later on, he said it like the stars of the sky. If you read between the lines, it seems as if there were a number of years between Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees and him coming to this place of separation. He had a few detours. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm just here waiting for God to do something in my situation to bring a change. Maybe God is saying the same thing. Well, I'm waiting here just for them to do what I originally said so I can bless them. But eventually Abraham did that and he became the father of our faith. You know, someone else who didn't hesitate to do what it took. And one, one point, he didn't really have much of a choice, but yet still, I think we know his heart is Joseph. Even though he was sold as a slave, he had a heart to obey God and honor him and follow him. And God recognized that and promoted Joseph to the head of Potiphar's house. And he still wanted to honor God in his ways, even in that when mom and dad were very far off and, you know, his family and, and so forth were very far off. And, but yet he wanted to honor God. And when Potiphar's wife had ill intentions towards him, you could say, he didn't stick around trying to persuade her of the truth. He didn't preach a sermon to her and say, you know, naughty, 
he just, he ran the hundred yard dash and got out of there. He did whatever it took to stay in God's pathway for him, even though it was a difficult pathway, but he wanted to stay pure and upright. That's a good mentality to have in general. You know, that if something is going to hinder us in our walk with God, we just get out of there. If something's going to keep us from following him, then we allow God to bring that separation. Especially if it's in the area of danger and it's going to keep us from doing what pleases God and, you know, keep us from staying clean then to be pleasing to the Lord. You know, that's what the Lord was talking about in Matthew 5 and verse 30. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Really, it's saying if something is hindering you in your life, better to go without it now than to go without eternity, in eternity with, with God in heaven. We want to deal with it now rather than suffer for it eternally. You know, Joseph suffered a loss. I mean, it might as well have been what Jesus was talking about because he got tossed into prison for years and it was in an Egyptian prison and it wasn't very nice. But he thought it was a price worth paying. And, and that's really what sets Joseph apart. He was willing. In one sense, he, I mean, he didn't have a choice to be sold into slavery, but then he had a choice for how to conduct himself, for how to follow God and keep seeking him. And he made that choice. He thought it was worth the price. It wasn't a fair situation. There was nothing good about it or fair. But he was willing to meet God. In fact, he was desperate to meet God in his situation. He, he was willing to do whatever it took to overcome in that. There's many other you could consider in Scripture. You, know, you could think of Moses. Right? There's several aspects of his life that would apply, but... You know, early on, like Joseph, he made a decision. He made a decision, well, early as relative, he was 40, but he had a long life. But he made that decision to forsake the pleasures of Egypt and to go into the desert. Even then, not a very nice prospect to live like a Bedouin when you, could, when you had access to the pleasures and palaces of Egypt but he chose the way of the Lord, and the Lord led him into a, a wilderness uh, season that was quite long. But, you know, he came out a different person. He came out, you know, well, Hebrews says he fled by faith. You know, sometimes you read Exodus and you think he was hightailing it for his life. But yet, you know, when God looks at it, he said he fled by faith. And, you know... That's quite something we know from the whole story. He had a sense that he was called to help his people. He was called to be a deliverer. But here he was with faith. We know faith comes from a word from God. And so he had a word from God. Moses, go to the desert. You know, God was saying the best way you can become a deliverer of your people is by leaving and going into the middle of nowhere, into the desert. I'm not sure what he thought about. There's another situation. I wonder what he thought about that at the time. You know, okay, Lord, I'll go and, and live in a tent in the desert in Arabia. But he said, I'll do it. I'll leave my comfortable position here in Egypt. I'll go into the desert. I'll do whatever it takes to follow your plan so that I can be pleasing to you. 
Now, just so we don't uh, think it was men who were doing everything it took, there's a few women in Scripture we can consider. You know, Esther is a great example. When Uncle Mordecai came to her and told her the position, the plight of her people, and they were facing uh, judgment, you know, or certain death by Haman and his plan, he said, you better go in and talk to your husband. And she said, well, wait a minute. If I go in there unannounced, the law of the court is, if, if he doesn't extend the scepter, then whoever doesn't, you know, he doesn't extend the scepter too, they are instantly dead. If he was in a bad mood, she was in trouble. And so, uh, you know, she thought about that. But then when she considered it and she looked to the Lord, her attitude was, well, if I perish, I perish. If that's what you're asking of me, Lord, I'm going to do it no matter what it takes. She was willing to lay down. In that case, it's her life. In our case, it's, you know, not, at least in the West and in our, our countries, it's not to that extent. In some countries, it is. Um, but in other times, it's laying down our will for God, laying down our plan or our desires if that perishes, Lord, let it perish, because I want to serve you. Another lady. In Luke 10, it has the account of Jesus and the disciples. You know, I think probably if I was a disciple, I would love nothing better than to just get Jesus away from the crowds and be in a home and sit around and just hear him talk and ask him questions and just, you know, experience what it would be like to be with the Messiah and, and learn from him and just observe him and see what he was like. You know, that would be so wonderful. Well, Mary, the sister of Martha, thought exactly the same thing. She thought, I don't want to spend my time in the kitchen, you know, doing things. I want to be with Jesus. I want to hear from him. I want to learn from him. I want to know him and experience him. And so Mary realized that's my opportunity to, to come to know Jesus, to know him more, I should say, to sit at his feet, to hear the words of life. And so she said, I'm going to do that. Sorry, Martha. I know you want me to, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that. And so she upset her sister. Maybe in the natural, Martha had a good argument. I mean, when you're thinking about the principle of the thing, it's not a very good principle to just leave your sister and say, no, you can do all the work. I, I'm going to hang out with the gang here in the living room and, you know, have fun. You're going to prepare the meal yourself. But she did that. But she realized there was something more at play here, something that was more worthwhile, that was greater. And perhaps it's something that Martha didn't see, that she did not consider and that maybe if she did, she would have, I don't, I don't know what was involved. We don't know the details. Perhaps she could have arranged things differently if she knew the master was coming to be there, that she could have also been at his feet. But we know, uh, we know what Jesus' response was when Martha came to him and said, Jesus, she is refusing to help me with these duties. Make her come. Kind of like that same guy who said, my brother won't divide the inheritance with me. Make him divide it. 
And Jesus had to put their both of their eyes back on what really mattered in life. With the with the guy, he had to say, "Don't put your don't put your your eyes upon money and greed and looking for those things, but put your eyes on me." And so with Martha, he had to reply to her. And in Luke ten forty one, says Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. That is a that itself is a troubling statement for the master to say to you, right? That means there is something hindering me. There's something in the way, something that needs to be dealt with and removed. You're careful and troubled about many things. There is one thing that is needful, and Mary has chosen it. She saw the one thing that really mattered in this whole situation, and I will not take that away from her because she chose that. The one thing that matters in life is sitting at his feet and meeting with the master and hearing from him and being changed by him. That's not to say that we should leave other people to do all the work or anything. That's not spiritual either. But there are certain times when we can get caught up in the natural things, the natural duties, natural goals in life, the day-to-day responsibilities, you know, and we they have to be done, but yet we can't discount and let that will never become an excuse to miss out our opportunity that we have in life to sit at the feet of Jesus, to meet with him. Jesus said, Mary has chosen that good part. By inference, Martha had not. And that's our, our, our challenge in life, so to speak. We have to do what it takes we have to do whatever it takes to, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to receive from him, to be transformed and changed by him. Mary had that opportunity and she took it. And she obtained something that could not be taken away from her and it's eternal. And she doesn't just have it in heaven, but it's recorded in the word of God because she chose that good thing. And that kind of challenges me, Lord, what is that good thing that you have for my life or that you're asking me to do? And is there anything in the way of me obtaining that? And, you know, each of us has to ask that our, that our own question because we each have our own journey. We each have our own walk with God that he's asking us to do specific things. And so we want to come, Lord, what is that good thing that you want me to do Lord, help me to do whatever it takes that I can obtain that. And then we'll have it for all eternity. Another example, here's a big one, King David. He's an example for lots of good things in Scripture of seeking God, of having a heart for God. After all, he was called and acts the man after God's own heart. That encompasses a lot of things. But, you know, we think of the of the end of the matter and the splendor of his kingdom, but he really had a tough road to get there, didn't he? You know, he he had to follow God through some very challenging, long seasons in life. You know, as a young lad, he was the armor bearer and then a captain in Saul's army, and he had the favor of the people. But then it's it's like just in a day, it all changed, and he now became the enemy. Of the king. And for the next, uh, people estimate it was like 10, 8 to 
10 or 12 years that he was on the run where the anointed of the Lord is actively seeking his life to kill him. That, that's quite a position to be in when you haven't done anything wrong. In fact, you've only done what it took to try and honor God's anointed and you're trying to keep your men from attacking God's anointed. And God doesn't do anything to change that situation for 10 years. That was, you know, quite a test in the intensity of it, but in the length of it as well. And David had to do everything he could to honor God and to endure until he came to the other side of that trial. You know, he had opportunities to end the trial in the wilderness, didn't he? At least twice he could have taken the life or his men were like, let me end this trial for you, David. And as much as he would like it to end, he said, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He knew that he would be going against God to try and end his trial. He knew he had to do things God's way. And so he waited and he hid. In this cave, in that valley, on the run to this city, to that place, one, one hiding place to another. But you know, in that, he learned what it meant. And we know that from the Psalms he wrote. He learned what it meant to hide under the shadow of the Almighty, to make God his rock and his refuge, to trust in the Lord in harrowing circumstances. He learned to do what God required of him, and it prepared him to be the great king that he became. And so in all of these examples, we can see God's part and we can see man's part, that man has a part to respond to God. And as I said in the beginning, God does most of the work. He, he puts in that 99% and he's calling us to just give our 1%. It's hard for us because that 1% is everything, it is all. But in the big picture, it, well, it's probably, I think it's really 0.01%, but comparatively with God, but, but yet he's asking that of us. And, and, you know, even sometimes part of that requirement that he asks, maybe there are certain acts of obedience, endurance, continuing in the pathway, but then there's other parts where there's nothing physically we can do naturally to change a situation. Instead, we have to do it spiritually. We have to do it in prayer and crying out to God in seeking him, in lifting up our voice day after day until he brings the answer. There's not a lot of physical activity other than just getting on our knees, but it's the activity of our spirit in crying out. I think of one more example we'll look at here. The prophet Daniel. You know, Daniel received a lot of, his work was a lot in the, was really in the spiritual realm. I mean, we don't know a lot of his natural duties. He was an administrator in multiple kingdoms down the line, at least five kingdoms that kings that he was under in different levels. Sometimes he was high, sometimes he was low. Sometimes he was first, sometimes he was forgotten. And he had, you know, the king had to be reminded, there's someone in your kingdom named Daniel. Oh, I heard something about him. Most of the work that we are really told about is what Daniel did in the spiritual realm. 
in seeking God and crying out to him and meeting him and, and God revealing things to him. And so there was a point where Daniel needed to hear from God. And he was crying out, Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, show me what this means. I need to hear from you. And he prayed one day, two days, three days, four days, and he's fasting and crying out to God a week, two weeks, three weeks. This is Daniel here. And he's not hearing from heaven. Well, finally, we hear what happened in Daniel chapter 10. It's a, an, an angel appears to him and he said, Daniel, from the very first day you prayed, heaven heard. But there was something going, hap- going on. The prince of Persia was opposing the answer to your prayer. He didn't want to have He didn't want the answer to come because the answer was actually talking about his overthrow and another prince coming. Not not even a good prince. It was the prince of Greece was going to come and take over. But that proclamation was the end of the matter for the prince of Persia. And so Daniel was praying and praying and praying. His, His prayer was heard in heaven on the very first day, but his answer was long in coming because there was a battle going on in the spiritual realm. There was spiritual opposition. And so he did what was needful to receive his answer. And he kept on praying. It seems as if his heaven, his prayers were involved in the workings of heaven and in nations, which is quite something. They heard it from the very day and, he, and the angel was sent to answer his prayer, but he was opposed. And so Daniel had to keep on praying. I don't know if this happens a lot or a little. I think more than we would think, especially when we as believers are praying for a change in our cities and nations and so forth. There's things that have to happen in the spiritual realm. But we don't want to just pray and say, well, no answer. Daniel's example to us is, I will pray and I'll do what it takes till God gives the answer and of course, we're, we're not praying for a Lamborghini here and saying, well, I'll pray for three weeks to get that. But we're praying as we know God desires us to cry out to him for that answer, for that provision, for that miracle to take place in our lives or someone else's life or in the church. And so the only thing we can do in that situation is just do what it takes and give ourselves to consistent prayer. And perhaps that too will move heaven and in the spiritual realm. And so in looking at this little survey of the saints, you know, what we understand is that God God plays the biggest part, but we have our part where we have to do what is needful. What we know we must do, we do what it takes to meet God You know, if we don't, and that's really a key, we have to know what to do. If we don't know what to do and we just keep doing stuff, Paul says we're like beating the air. You know, we're just punching, but nothing's there and we're just wasting our energy. Some saints have tried to be like that, trying to find a solution, but they don't know what to do. And so that is a real key is, Lord, show me what is needful speak to me. And sometimes that's the the aspect of prayer that we need to be praying and, and seeking and not giving up until we get that answer. 
We need to know what God wants us to do. And we have to be like Paul on the Damascus Road. Lord, who are you and what do you want me to do? What are you calling me to do now? And I, you know, I firmly believe that we have to ask that at many stages of our life. We ask that at the beginning, Lord, who are you? And we know he's our savior, but yet he has many aspects of himself. He wants to reveal to us, to show us who he is, and then what we need to do to know him more in that way. It might require a response on our part to do that. A response of pressing in or a response of surrender, of yielding our will, perhaps even doing something we don't want to do. But it's the thing we have to do. Or maybe it's just being on our knees in prayer until God accomplishes that. And so, you know, we want to ask the Lord, Lord, what does it take to follow you, for me to follow you? What is that needful thing so that I can obtain the promise that you've given to me, that your purpose for my life? And if we will sell all, meaning we're willing to do whatever it takes, all that he requires of us to follow him, then we will have treasure in heaven. As the Lord said to that rich young ruler, he was actually very poor. And God was saying, change in that worthless currency that you're holding on to, and I'll exchange it, and I'll give you treasure for it. It's so sad that he couldn't see that, and he missed out. But all we have to do, we have the same thing, though. We have some, sometimes some worthless currency in our, our will, in what we want to do. And we have to exchange that in and say, Lord, I'm exchanging it. Show me what to do and give me grace to do whatever it takes so that I can have treasure in heaven and follow you. I'll close with one, one last verse in Hosea 6 in, the, in verse 3. He says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain the latter and the former rain unto the earth. That's what we so desire. I long for God to pour his rain upon us as individuals, upon us as a church. We need the rain of the Spirit here in Clearwater. We sure need it in our nation. But what predicates that? What, what is that based on? We will know it if we follow on to know the Lord, if each of us are doing what it takes in our life to know God, to obey Him, to serve Him. I'll tell you what, if we had a church doing that, our nation would change like that. Lord, help us. Help us as a church. Help us as individuals. Help us as a church corporate to follow on to know you that your reign could be poured out upon the earth. Lord, we thank you for your, your mercy, that your plan for us is so good and your your calling us to come unto, Lord, the, the great riches of the eternity you've prepared for us. And Lord, we recognize in the scriptures, Lord, that you've called us to give that small sacrifice of, of ourselves, of doing your will and laying our will on the altar, of giving our all. Lord, we just cry out to you. Lord, first we ask you, Lord, show us 
Show us what, Lord, each of us need to do to, to give ourselves to you in a greater way. Lord, to do what it takes to follow you. Lord, if there's something that's hindering that in our lives, would you show it? Lord, would you reveal it to us? And Lord, we just cry out for, for your mercy and your grace that you would enable us, Lord, to, to let that go upon the altar and be consumed, we pray. Oh, Lord, lead us that we would do all that you ask, that we would, oh God, follow you. Lord, that we could receive that promise that you gave to that rich young ruler in our lives, that, Lord, we would just give up our all and receive treasure in heaven and follow you all of our days and for eternity. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.